Hey friends, thank you for clicking on the button and listening to us, watching us wherever you are at. If you're on YouTube, welcome, like, and subscribe. And if you are listening to us on a podcast platform, please subscribe so you can get uh, more of our content in your feed. We also have a lot of things that go on here at Christ Community Church, and we would love for you to get connected. So go over to our website, cccgreeley.org. You can click on our coming up page and kind of see all the things that are going on that you can be a part of. So we hope you enjoy today's message. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to those who are joining us online. You're either watching us on YouTube or through our app or you're listening to a podcast. Um, So welcome to all of you for being a part of the Christ Community family. We are in the midst of a teaching series where we are walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, which is this letter the apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had established a few years earlier in the city of Corinth. And so here is this relatively small group of believers in Jesus, a significant minority of the population, living in the midst of a very large, pagan, spiritually dark city. And the question is, who is going to influence whom? Will the culture influence this small fledgling church or will this small group of followers of Jesus influence their city? That's the same issue that we face as well. See, it used to be that that the majority of our culture held a general affirmation of the value of Christian ideals and principles, but that's no longer the case. We, We live in a culture that is rapidly becoming increasingly post-Christian or even anti-Christian. Genuine followers of Jesus are a minority in our country, and the general ideas and values of Christianity are no longer the predominant worldview of our culture. So the question is, how are we to respond to this unsettling reality? For some of us, we may feel a sense of anxiety or anger. We feel like we're losing something. And we need to fight to get it back. For others, it just seems overwhelming and maybe even hopeless. How could we possibly influence a culture that is so rapidly heading away from God? Well, that's the question that Paul is focusing on in the chapter that we're looking at today, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. How can the Corinthians and us engage our culture in such a way that we truly impact our culture rather than being influenced by our culture. And so last week we looked at chapter eight where Paul begins to answer this question by focusing first on our relationships with one another, calling us, we talked a lot about this last week, calling us to stop bickering and judging each other over non-essential matters and instead to love and honor one another. Well, in chapter nine, Paul talks about a second key to our impacting and influencing our culture And that is through the sharing of the gospel. Paul realizes that the way a culture is truly impacted for the good is when lost people in that culture begin embracing the gospel of Jesus. Paul knows this from personal experience. This is how you impact a culture, one heart at a time. Paul's focus on sharing the gospel literally impacted the world. We are here today because of Paul's tenacious commitment to sharing the gospel. So if anyone can help us grow 
in how to share our faith, how to share the gospel in a pagan, anti-Christian culture, it would be Paul. So in this passage, Paul's going to help us. He, he, he answers two crucial questions regarding his sharing of the gospel in that culture. He's going to talk about the why, two questions, the why and the how. So let's start with the why, which is always the best place to start. If we don't know why we do something, then the how is very unmotivating. Tell me why I need to floss my teeth before expecting me to actually do that, okay? So what is Paul's Why? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23. We'll come to the earlier part in just a bit, but this is the core of this chapter. Verse 19, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. You cannot read this passage or hear this passage read without hearing Paul's passion for sharing the gospel. This was Paul's obsession, not the political climate or the social changes in society or whatever. Paul was singularly focused on sharing the gospel. Why? Because he knew that that is what ultimately changes people's hearts and changes a society. Paul knew that the gospel has the power to change someone's life way more dramatically than any diet or election result or self-help system, or technology, or philosophy, or whatever this world offers. I mean, statistics and surveys are consistently revealing that so many people today feel hopeless and unseen and unvalued and anxious. See, we know that Jesus can meet them in those places in a way that no one else can. And Paul knew that as well, which is why he is so passionate about sharing the good news with people. And and it's so easy for us to lose sight of this and to get distracted and focused on things that don't have the power to change people's hearts. I was talking with a pastor, good friend, pastor friend of mine the other day, who in our conversation, he sheepishly admitted to me that every hour or two during his day, his work day or whatever, every hour or two, he's checking his news feed on his phone, looking at political news in particular, and getting riled up about something And then it takes him several minutes for his heart to refocus on whatever he had been working on. I mean, how many of us are living this way? Letting our hearts and our minds be continually distracted by the latest polls or news or whatever, and we're forgetting the ultimate issue. People coming to know Jesus. 
Paul's whole life was focused on how to help people experience the blessing of knowing Jesus and the transformation that comes through him. I mean, think about this. What if every person in our city or your city, wherever you happen to live, what if every person in our city experienced Jesus in a real way? Would that have an impact? A long-term impact on everything, on families, on people's emotional and mental health, on crime, on racial issues. Everything in our culture would be impacted. I mean, no wonder Paul was so passionate about sharing the gospel. I mean, think about this. If, if we had in our possession a, 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 some new information about how cancer can be cured, would we keep that knowledge to ourselves? No, we would be sharing that with everyone we knew whose life was being destroyed by cancer, right? We have in our possession the good news of a savior named Jesus who loves every person and who gave his life so that they can have a relationship with him. That news, this news is needed by the people around us. That's the why. Not guilt, not obligation, oh, you should do this more. No, 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 no. The why is love. Wanting people to experience Jesus the way we have. Now that, now that we know the why, let's talk about the how. Because this is where, yeah, I got the why, but I don't know how. Okay. How was Paul so effective in sharing the gospel in a culture like his, in this dark, pagan, spiritually dark culture? This is fascinating. There are two crucial principles he articulates here, and each one is so important. First, by laying down our rights. This is so counterintuitive, especially in America, where we tend to be so focused on individual rights and freedoms. But as we talked about last week, in the kingdom of God, our freedom, our rights always take a backseat to love. Always in the kingdom of God. Now, in order for Paul to reach people for Christ, he knew he had to lay down his rights. Look again at verse 19. Though I'm free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. This is an incredible statement. He's saying, look, even though I am free in Christ and I am not enslaved to anyone, I will choose to make myself a servant to everyone if it will help them come to Christ in order to win them to Christ. In other words, the asserting of my rights and my freedoms goes out the window when I'm trying to lead someone to Jesus. He's talking about a posture that asks, are there any barriers that I have subconsciously erected that might be keeping this person from exploring Jesus? Now, what's fascinating is that Paul actually has a specific example of this in how he sought to lead the Corinthian believers they were unbelievers at the time, how he thought, sought to lead the Corinthian people to Christ a few years ago. And it had to do with Paul receiving financial benefit for his services. Let me, this, this takes a little bit to explain, but it's, it's what the first 18 verses are talking about here. It was very common practice in those days for a minister or a philosopher to come into town and, and, and they would receive donations for uh, as, just um, from the recipients of their, their teaching or their ministry. That was very common. But apparently, some of the Corinthians were criticizing Paul for him doing this, for him receiving money for his ministry. So let's look at what was going on. Verse 1. Am I not free? 
Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is, is, is that scripture about oxen that God's concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Jumping down to verse 13. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. See, Paul is building this up, this pretty convincing argument as to why he, as an apostle and as a minister of the gospel, has every right to expect that the people he ministers to would pay him, that he has every right to receive a salary from those he ministers to. But then... Paul takes this argument he just made <laughs> and he turns it on its head in order to make the very point we started with in verse 19 about laying down our rights in order to share the gospel. Look at verse 12. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. See, Paul is saying, I had every right to receive financial support from you when I was in Corinth, but I chose not to. Why? For the sake of the gospel. When, when Paul was initially in Corinth trying to reach people for Christ and establish this church, he was a tent maker. He was bivocational. He didn't receive a salary from anyone. And we know that from Acts 18. He earned his salary on the side doing tent making. And now here he is, here in, in chapter 9, we realize he did this tent making gig for a specific reason. He didn't want to put up a potential barrier to these people in Corinth receiving Christ. So, sort of like how we used to pass the offering bucket in our worship services, which now feels so cringeworthy, right? Here's a new person coming to church for the first time, exploring who Jesus is, and, and, and they're sitting there, and they get past this bucket and the implicit awkward pressure to put something in. And see, that's the kind of barrier Paul was wanting to avoid. As I, as I mentioned earlier, in that culture, it was very common for philosophers to come to town square and start speaking. And as they're eloquently sharing their thoughts, they'd have buckets out, you know, and they'd be asking for money, you know, donations, baskets for money. It was very common. And Paul was like, I don't want to do that. Even though I have the freedom to do that, I don't want these lost people to think that the gospel is somehow tied to money. 
I don't want them to think that they're buying something when, when they're, they're hearing the gospel. That's the opposite of what the gospel is. And so Paul chose to lay down his right to receive money for his ministry. He, chose, he could have done that. He chose to lay that down in order for the Corinthians to truly hear the gospel without there being any potential barriers for them to come to Christ. That's what's happening here. Verse 15, but, but I have not used any of these rights. And I'm not writing this in hope that you'll do such things for me. I'm not dropping hints here. Uh, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. When, for when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. I already have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. I want it to be free of charge rather than asserting my rights. That's what he's saying. At least that's the message he wants people to hear. We, again, we see Paul's passion for sharing the gospel. I'm compelled. I've, just, I've got to preach the gospel, this Paul. And we see his willingness and the critical importance, his willingness to lay down his rights if it would help someone experience the gospel. So here's the question. What rights is God asking us to lay down for the sake of the gospel? I was just thinking about how this might have applied to the whole mask controversy during COVID. Okay. Uh-oh, here we go. No, no, I, I don't want to, just, just listen to me. Listen, just hear me out here. I'm not trying to make, take a side or anything. I just want us to think about an issue like that in light of what Paul's saying here. Let's say a follower of Jesus was like, I'm not wearing a mask. I think the government is overreaching. They're stealing my freedom. I'm not doing it. But let's also say living next door to that person is a lost neighbor who is very afraid of getting COVID, or who has a health condition that made them more vulnerable to getting it. If that Christ follower in this house, that Christ follower wanted to reach their neighbor for Christ, would he or she be willing to lay down their right to not wear a mask and instead put on a mask so as to not hinder this person from coming to Christ? See, I feel like Paul would be the guy saying, if I need to wear a mask to give me an opportunity to share the gospel, I'm ordering a box. Give me the mask. I'm putting it on. And on the other hand, I feel like Paul would be the guy who's saying, hey, if me wearing a mask would actually be a barrier to someone coming to Christ, Paul would be like, I'm taking it off. For Paul, it was all about the gospel. It wasn't about his personal freedom it was about the gospel. Paul was willing to do whatever it took to advance the gospel, not his personal rights. Remove any barrier so they could hear the gospel. 
The other day I was at an event, uh, evening event, I was tired, ready to go home, and I saw this person I'd seen in a couple other contexts, but I'd never talked to them, and they were sitting by themselves, and I thought, uh, I, you know, I, I, sh- I should just strike up a conversation, but there was this battle inside, I don't really want to, and I'm tired, and I've had a long day, and I'm an introvert, and I don't have to, you know, all this stuff. Th- those were my rights talking. Those were my rights talking. My freedoms right? Freedom in Christ. I can do whatever, right? You know, you get what I'm saying there. I'm not talking about American freedom. I'm just talking about my freedom in Christ. I had every right to not. And unfortunately, those rights often win. Uh, But this time I chose to lay them down and to move towards this person and just strike up a conversation. Why, Why did I do that? Because in that moment, I realized that my greater desire, my great, I had a desire to go home my greater desire was for this person to somehow get connected to Jesus. And the only way for me to be a part of that process would be for me to start a conversation with them. See, so often sharing the gospel really comes down to us choosing to strike up a conversation with someone and then just kind of see where a conversation leads. And even that simple step often involves us laying down our rights our agenda, our schedule, where we want to sit at the airport terminal or where, you know, with all those things, our rights, our agenda, we lay those aside so that we can actually begin building a relationship. Okay, so the first critical aspect of Paul's approach to sharing the gospel is letting go of our rights. Second crucial aspect of effectively sharing the gospel is intentionally engaging people where they are. So look again at what Paul says in verse 20. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. So notice, this is really important. Paul didn't expect people to come to him asking questions about Jesus and asking how they could become a Christian. That's awesome when that happens, but that's not Paul's expectation. Paul, Paul realizes he has to intentionally look for creative ways to engage people where they are rather than waiting for them to come to him. Now, look, this is a huge paradigm shift that opens up a whole new dimension for all of us when it comes to sharing our faith. I think one of the reasons evangelism is at a lull in the United States is because we, many Christians, many of us, have fallen into a way of thinking that, that basically is that the only, we, this is how we think, the, the only way to reach lost people is to get them into our church services so they can hear the gospel, which on one hand totally makes sense. I mean, the gospel is often shared at church services. The problem, however, is what about that person in your life who you know will never connect with a church service? The singing, the prayers, the message, the whole church world, that whole Church world culture is just so foreign to them. 
There are so many barriers they have to cross in order to even be sitting in a church service to hear a message about Jesus. They would much rather be hiking or watching football or whatever, right? We all have people like that in our lives. In fact, I would guess, this is my estimate, but I think it's pretty accurate. I would guess that in our culture, about 70% of people are in this category. I think the number continues to increase. 70% of people are in this category. They have no church background or interest in coming to church. That's a lot of people who need Jesus, but have no interest in attending a church service. And the reality is, I think a lot of us have felt this guilt and shame about not being successful in getting them to church and bringing them to church. But here's what Paul's saying. You don't have to bring them to church and make them cross all of these cultural and religious barriers. You go to them on their turf. You can be the one going through barriers rather than insisting that they go through your barriers. Okay, so what might this look like? That's such a fun question because it opens up some creative, outside-the-box thinking about how we as individuals and we as a church can engage people where they live, where they play, where they work, where they hang out. Now, this question has been, it's really been burning in my heart for the past couple years. Um, I've been praying and thinking, read it, just burning my heart. How, just stirring, how do we help all people find Jesus? And the reality is, again, I want to reemphasize this, the typical church paradigm of which we are a part, buildings, worship services, et cetera, that's really only able to reach about 30% of the population. 30% of our population is comfortable with the typical church model. That's been their background. They grew up in it. Whatever. They're comfortable with that. 30%. That's a lot of people. But but what about the 70% who aren't comfortable? See, and it would be so many barriers. Well, what about them? What would it look like? Here's, here's my question that I've been asking. What would it look like for us as a church to be about going after both the 30% and the 70%? Not choosing one or the other, going after both. And so I, as I and some other leaders are wrestling with this question for several months, we feel like God is inviting us as a church Um, to pursue a way of doing both, sort of a hybrid model of church. So in this hybrid model, we want to continue to offer vibrant worship services and community, you know, small groups, all that, resources for those who are comfortable in this church model, which is most of us, most of us. We, We believe this model has value. God's blessing this church in its pursuit of this model, and we don't disparage that at all. We celebrate it. Okay. So we want to continue to do that, to kind of minister to the 30% that would be comfortable. But what if we also, the same time we're doing this, what if we also leveraged our people and financial resources as a church to fuel a movement of engagement with the 70% who will never darken the door of a church? So how can we do that? Well, what if we as a church provided training and resources accessible to anyone in our church to help them intentionally move toward the people around them in the 70% category, in their workplace, in their neighborhood, or a specific people group in our city that God has been laying on their heart, or our school, or or the gym we work out, or wherever. 
See, I, I, I think all of us feel this longing for pe- these people to come to know Jesus, but we sort of feel helpless. We don't know how to move towards them spiritually in a way that actually works. So what if we as a church provided hands-on coaching and training for how to actually do this in the circles of influence um, or the areas of passion we find ourselves in. So I'm really excited to announce that we're going to be offering exactly that starting on Monday, October 9th. We're going to be facilitating an eight-month-long missional cohort, is what we're calling it, missional cohort, that will be led by a friend of mine, a guy named Joe Schimmels, who's been involved in helping coach people to live this way. So here's the deal. This missional cohort will offer hands-on practical training for anyone in how to engage with people around you who will never darken the door of our church. So the core cohort is going to start by learning about prayer, just how to prayer walk, how to do listening prayer, how to just do strategic prayer as the foundation for moving towards this group of people or this person or towards the lost people. And then in the cohort, they'll talk about how to engage people spiritually. I think we all feel stuck there. I'm friends with this person, but I don't really know how to engage them spiritually. So the cohort talking about how how, how to do that, offering tools like discovery Bible studies to help people discover who Jesus is and perhaps building a small organic community. That would be awesome, right? Forming a small organic community of discovery and relational connection. Now, here's, here, please hear me. The goal of this is not to get more people to attend Christ community. I, I, I don't care about that. This is not a Christ community church growth strategy. This is a kingdom growth strategy. See, my dream is, is that over the next few years, we could have 10, 20, 30 of these organic communities, these spiritual discovery and discipleship communities happening throughout our city with no expectation that any of those communities would come to this church. And these communities would be in certain neighborhoods or among certain people groups or in certain businesses or at certain schools. Wouldn't that be amazing? So, so this missional Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, I think I heard some amens there, which is, yeah, I'm very excited. This missional cohort is, is, listen, it is not for a certain maturity level. Oh, I've only been a Christian for a year. You know, I I need to go to seminary. No, 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 do not go to seminary, okay, please. You know, just, it's not, you can go to seminary. You know what I'm saying, though? Don't think you gotta do that. I I need more Bible training. No, 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 it is for anyone. It is for anyone who simply wants to learn how to pray more effectively and better engage lost people in a relational way. And you will have someone in this cohort. Joe, you will have someone, Joe Shimos, helping you and just coaching you all along the way in this process as you're exploring wherever God may be calling you to move towards. So if you want more information about this, Joe and I are gonna be hosting an informational meeting this Monday. At, from seven to eight, it's just an hour long. This Monday, September 18th, we're gonna talk, I'm gonna share in more detail some of the vision for this. Joe's gonna share in more detail about what the cohort actually looks like and answer questions. It's gonna be in the community room here at church. Newsletter has more information about that. But here's my, here's my thought. If as you're hearing me talk about this, something is stirring in your heart, I would just ask you, just come. Come to the meeting, hear more information about this. Don't feel like you're underqualified and please do not let fear make this decision for you. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in this. You know, I get so excited about the thought of us as a church helping fuel 
a movement like this through ordinary people who love Jesus and they want other people to know him. So let me, let me call, share a cool story uh, that's right now happening. Like this is real time. A few months ago, Pastor KJ started talking to me about this desire to, in his heart to see our church do something to serve and minister to people in local nursing homes, to go to them because they can't come to us. We go to them, right? So he, I said, go for it. That sounds awesome. So he reached out to Cheryl Jelnick in our church who, who he knew had the same passion. And so they started looking for a nursing home to serve. And one of those that they looked at was Broadview Health and Rehabilitation. What they didn't know at the time was that Broadview had on their staff an event coordinator that happened to, happens to attend Christ's community, Letitia Ortega. And Letitia had been taking out her phone on Sunday mornings when she worked on Sunday mornings, taking out her phone and letting some residents watch our worship service with her. KJ didn't know anything about this. So when these three people, Letitia, Cheryl, KJ, found each other, they were like, let's do a Christ community service at Broadview. Let's go to them. So they began talking to some other folks at Christ community with the same passion who maybe wanted to be a part of that. And, and I had a conversation with some in the lobby, uh, Leonard and, and Stacey Salazar. We're thinking about this. I was like, well, KJ just talked to me about this. So connected them and they got a part of this team. The team now has like 10 people. And in this process, they also found out that some of our traditions community had been sending the residents their birthday cards. Um, And some small groups from Christ community were doing things at various times to care for people, throwing parties and all this stuff. So all of this came together last Sunday, last Sunday, when we had our first worship service at Broadview Health and Rehabilitation. 20 beautiful residents were there. Can we say hello? They're watching. Uh, can we say hello to our new friends? Amen. At Broadview. Who are watching this right now. We love you. We love you. Thank you for letting us be a part of your lives. That is a picture of what can happen when we realize the church is not confined by these four walls. What if our church could unleash a movement of these sorts of communities in various places around this city in this region as we also continue to be a loving, vibrant um, family of believers having worship services and teaching the Bible, all that, people growing in Christ here and and inviting others who might be interested to, to come to church? What if we did both? That's a vision that I am eager to pursue with you. Why? Because we all want lost people to come to know Jesus, right? We do. We all want that. And so here, I think there's a specific challenge in this passage, chapter nine, for all of us. Here's how I would articulate it. Where does the gospel fit on your list of priorities and passions? Where does your desire for people to come to know Jesus fit in terms of all the things you enjoy and are pursuing? See, here's what I'm challenging us to consider. I think Paul actually challenges us to consider. What what if every activity we're involved in, pickleball, politics, book clubs, work, working out, playing golf, living in our apartment complex, going to our school, what if we viewed all of those things through a lens of how can this help people around me come to know Christ? 
It's not like, oh, evangelism is like fourth in my prayer. I'm going to do these other three things and then evangelism. Paul never viewed it that way. For Paul, evangelism was like, yeah, it's, it's priority number three for me. And I, I pray first. And then, I, you know, he never viewed life that way. He viewed all of life as an opportunity, <laughs> wherever he happened to be, in a hospital, wherever he happened not to be in a hospital, whatever. You know what I'm saying? He, he viewed all of life, wherever he happened to be. He's asking this question, where, how, can, how can God use me here to maybe help some people, help point some people to Jesus? See, if, if we were asking that question about any activity we love to do, book clubs, just any activity we love to do, if we just change the question, changed our perspective, that that's not just about us loving to do that. What if that is something God, a place, a context where God is putting us to build relationships and to help point people to Jesus? See, what would happen if we start asking that question is, is that each of us would start to see all these activities we're involved in and these spaces where we live and we work and all that. We would suddenly see these through a completely different lens not simply as things we are part of. No, we would see them as strategic opportunities for Jesus to work through us. We'd continue to be praying. We'd continue to be asking Jesus, how can you use me to help point these people to you? It changes everything. This is how Paul lived. This is how Paul lived. For Paul, Jesus was everything in his life. For Paul, Jesus was everything in his life. And he wanted everyone around him to know this Jesus. So he lived with this mindset, this heart, that wherever he was, wherever he worked, whatever context he found himself in, he was gonna look for ways to meet people where they are, lay down his rights to meet people where they are, and then point them to Jesus. So what if each of us Ask the Holy Spirit to help us view every part of our life in that same way. Imagine the impact that could have. Amen. All right, let's pray. We're gonna actually stand as we respond here. Before we get into prayer, I want you to stand. We, we like to... Um, we've heard the word, and now we really want the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And so we like to just enter into a time of stillness where we're just quieting our hearts. And, and I'm gonna, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit, just a prayer, actually. It's just an ancient prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. And it's not asking him to come live in us again. No, it, it's, it's a prayer that they pray for, the church has prayed for centuries, basically saying, I'm opening my heart to you. Holy Spirit, what, what are you saying to me in response to your word? What are you stirring in me? What are you saying in to me? And so let's close our eyes. If you want to, um, sometimes we like to encourage people to hold their hands out in front of them with their palms up, which is another ancient posture of receptivity. So let's just open our hearts to whatever the Holy Spirit would want to say or do, and let's say yes to him. So Holy Spirit, come. We wait on you. Come and speak and move. We welcome you.
Holy Spirit, I, just, I bless what you're doing right now. The people who, the names of people or faces who have popped into many hearts, just as we're thinking about them and our desire for them to come to know you. Holy Spirit, I'm just, I'm just reminded of Acts chapter one where Jesus, you're like, wait till you receive power from the Holy Spirit and then you're gonna just go, you're gonna move towards people. And I, I'm, I'm sure those guys were kind of quaking in their boots a little bit, Lord, and just maybe some of us feel it too. And just, God, we just thank you. This is your spirit's power in us. We, we don't wanna be led by fear. We wanna just be led by compassionate hearts who see people the way you do. And God, we confess, we don't know how to move towards these people, we, we, but we want to. And so I'm, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, for you to come. Like at Pentecost, just come in increased measure and fill us with faith, fill us with compassion, fill us with creative ideas and, um, and you would lead us, Lord. And so we're praying, God, for um, the 30% and the 70%, we as a church, we want to go after both in the power of your spirit. So would you, would you stir in us and lead us? Thank you, Lord. And the reason we say yes is because we love you. You are our treasure, Jesus. You are our treasure. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving your life, laying down your rights for us. What an amazing God you are. So we want to express our love for you in these next several minutes here, just to express our love for you. As we're doing that, as we're worshiping, I want to invite you. There may be, we're going to continue just to allow the Holy Spirit. What is he stirring? What is he doing? There may be some of you who are like, I feel like God's doing something to me, and I would love someone to just to come alongside and bless what God's doing. So we have a prayer team available tonight. I'll be available too. If you come forward and you'll just stand up here and as, as everyone's worshiping, and we'll just come alongside one of us and just put a hand on your shoulder, and we're just going to bless what God's doing. Just want to partner with what God's doing. And then we'll quiet our hearts. And if there's anything, he, we'll just listen and see if he wants to speak to us anything to share with you. And then we'll share it. And you can test and weigh to see if that's from the Lord. But that, that's kind of the ministry time up here while we're worshiping. And so we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come and move and stir in us this love. The why is Jesus. The why of sharing the gospel. It's Jesus. You are the why. Lord, we love you, God. Well, coming out of this message, before you go, we just want to encourage you to reach out. If you have any prayer requests or any questions or any way that we can connect with you as you move forward, we're here for you. We're here with you. You're part of this family. So just go to our website and there's a chat box that you can always reach out and we would love to connect with you. So that's it for today. Have a good, blessed rest of your day.